Okay, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. And we're only going to cover one verse this morning. You say, surprise, surprise, surprise. Well, <clears throat> I had, was going to cover Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 8, but I had four pages of notes, and I know good and dead gum well I can't get through four pages of notes in 30, 35 minutes. So we're only going to cover verse 7 this morning. This, this section, I've entitled it, The Unchangeable Christ. The Unchangeable Christ. This will be part one. And it, and it keys off of the verse that we're going to look at next week in verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now listen to me. I'll say this at the beginning. and We need to understand this, and we need to, by God's Holy Spirit, cement these things into our mind. Because if we don't, we will never be able to accurately uh, interpret and accurately uh, set forth the truth of the scriptures concerning this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, you know, pure and simple, we know from at his birth that, that his name would be called Jesus, Jehovah our salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. But a couple of verses later, I think it's in verse 18 of that same chapter, I think that's where it's at, it said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel being translated, God with us. Now listen, there is no debate about it. The Lord Jesus Christ is truly God. If you doubt that, or you debate that, or you deny that, you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly God, and yet he is at the same time truly man. He is both God and man in one person. And here's another thing you've got to keep in mind. Not only is he God, but being God, what is he? He is co-equal, and listen, co-eternal. with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And to me, this I, I think about this a lot. You know, we, we make statements like that when this time is over that Jesus will be, be, more, be glorified. Well, listen, I always think about John 17. Christ says, I've glorified thee on the earth. I finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Therefore, glorify me with the glory that I had with you. Listen, before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the work of redemption, before he accomplished salvation, before he ever came into this world, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them out from under the law, the Lord Jesus Christ ever and always is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. So when this thing is all over, said, and done, and time is folded up, and time is no more, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will be absolutely positively, unequivocably unchanged in any way, shape, form, or fashion by any of it. Now, they might be changed to us. They're unchanged. That's the God we serve. I am the Lord God, he said by the prophet Malachi, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I am the Lord God, I change not. Therefore, since he doesn't change, you sons of Jacob 
are not consumed. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. So the Lord Jesus Christ, that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are unchanged, unchangeable. They're unfazed by anything. Anything and everything down to the most minute nanoparticle is under the complete, absolute, sovereign control and power of a God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Unchanged by us. Unfazed by anything that we do. Now, the apostle that wrote this book, the apostle Paul, had had been given these Hebrew believers encouragement in two things, in love to one another, but secondarily, in obedience. Obedience. I know people, they, they spend a lot of time when they come to know what we believe and teach. We believe salvation full and free based on a, a righteousness established for us, which we had no part in producing and maintaining, and nothing we do or nothing we do not do can in any way change our status before the true and living God. We are in an unchangeable state of righteousness based on the fact that God has charged to us the unchangeable eternal righteousness of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. People hear that and they say, well, y'all don't care about obedience. Well, that's, that's, that's not true. Our greatest, greatest motive to obedience is what? It's not the, not the slavish fear or dread of, of, uh, uh, of the Lord God punishing us if we don't get right so we won't get left. But it's the obedience of sons and daughters. And that's what he's challenging these people to do out of, out of grace and gratitude because, because he loved you. See, that's why we should study the promises. You understand that, right? Because if we study and we apply and we take to ourselves the promises that God has so freely and richly given to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, those are our motive to obey Him, to honor Him. Not in order to get something, but because we got something. I mean, do you think about that? If, if you've rested, if, if the Lord God has made you willing in the day of His power, I always want to get my language right on it. If the Lord God has made you willing in the day of his power, if he chose you an everlasting covenant of grace, if he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to suffer, bleed, die, and be raised again and ascend and take his place at the right hand of glory to give eternal life to all those that God the Father gave him before the foundation of the world, if you have been regenerated, converted by God the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, we possess... Right now, eternal life. You say, well, I don't feel like I have eternal life. That's the problem that religion has portrayed about this thing of eternal life. It's not a feeling. It's a reality. Huh? We're not waiting to get it. Once he brought us, well, actually even further back than that, but to our minds it became a present reality when he brought us true faith and true repentance. We were sure and certain for heaven, and nothing can keep us from entering in. All this, this is our Lord. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that comes to me, this is his word, not mine, them that come to me I will in no 
case, no wise, cast them out. Well, what if I don't go to church enough? I will in no wise cast them out. What if I, I sin some grievous sin? What about if I committed adultery or I, I'm a murderer or a liar or a thief or 10,000 other things that men call sin? I will never cast thee out. We have example after example after example of justified saints, men and women who knew the true and living God, who by God's grace loved the true and living God, yet what happened in their lives? All of it recorded for us. Did God stop loving David when he committed adultery? Did his attitude toward this man change when he had Uriah the Hittite put to death? Well, hold on. Cain killed Abel. Did God's mind change toward Cain when he killed Abel? No, because what was Cain always? I always think about those dreadful words our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to Judas Iscariot when he looked at him and told him, it would have been better if you had never been born. Folks, it's as true and as real as the, the sovereignty of God is in choosing a people to salvation. The same can be true, said and true, that God had before the foundation of the world, before they had done any good or evil. And keep that in mind. Before they'd done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved before he'd done any good or evil. You, gotta, you see, you gotta, you gotta put the two together. Esau have I hated before he did any good or evil, Kenny. Why? Hath not the potter power over the clay? To make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor. Who are you, man? See, that's the thing. We, we have a wrong attitude about ourselves by nature. We think we matter. All you got to do is look around in society. Everybody, whether it's black lives matter or gay lives matter or military lives matter or this matters or that matters, we do not matter. That doesn't mean I don't care about people. But I'm talking about in the grand scheme of things, our God's got a different view of us than we got of us. He speaks of us as dust. Right? He speaks of us as this way. All, this, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. <laughs> that's, that's the God of this Bible. And none can say unto him, he doeth according to his will among the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, and none can say unto him, what doest thou? And yet what does man stand up proudly try to do? You can't do that. That's not fair. Go tell God that. Huh? Every exhortation in the scriptures to love and obedience, who are they given to? They're not given to the world in general. 
Every exhortation in the Scripture is given to who? To believers, to justified saints. And they're motivated, they're to be motivated by the certainty of their salvation. And final glory, condition what? On their holding out to the end? On their morality? On their sincerity? No, on Christ alone, based on what He would accomplish. So what He's talking about when He's encouraging these believers, including you and me, to true gospel obedience and love and obedience one to another, it's not legal. It's not mercenary notions of salvation or any part of salvation condition on the sinner. Because you've got to be right on this. Before any act of obedience is well-pleasing to God, what has to happen? We must be righteous. <laughs> That's what's wrong with the sinner's prayer. You got an unholy sinner approaching a holy God who will by no means clear the guilty and saying to this God, I will accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. This is a God who will by no means clear the guilty. This is a God that demands the eternal the, the wages of sin. That, that sinner that comes to say that sinner's prayer, wages of sin, death. Not, oh, here, I'm a big old grandpa, I'll take you in. I love you, and I'm kind, and I'm compassionate, and I overlook. God, God don't overlook. This God don't overlook anything. He deals with every creature from his hand according to strict law and justice. Everyone, you and me too. You say, well, we're all done. No, because he dealt with us in strict law and justice where? In the person of our surety, our substitute. I represented man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he did, everything that should have fell on us, where did it fall? It fell on him. And everything that was his by way of perfect obedience to God's law and justice, including life, liberty, freedom forever, what did it do? It's, it's, it's mine. Fully and freely. So before we ever take that first step by way of obedience, what? Our hearts have to be made right before God. Solomon said this, made this statement in Ecclesiastes, who can say he has made his heart clean? Can you? If you did, I'd like to know how you did it. How did you accomplish that? See, we have to see Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. The one who, he, listen, he's already met every condition and he established a righteousness for. That's what we're telling people every time we stand up here to preach this gospel. I am telling sinners who have no righteousness about a righteousness established for God's people. Can you believe it? Can you rest in it? Because see, here's the thing. As long as you think you can get a righteousness somehow, you'll never rest in this one. You'll trust yours before you trust His. It's been that way since the beginning. And see, our obedience, as weak and feeble as it might be, it can't be aimed at the ground, hope, or cause of our salvation, nor can it be aimed at making us more complete or more holy or more fit or more entitled or more qualified for eternal life. Because if it is, you know what that implies? That implies there's deficiency where? In what Christ did. Listen to Paul. He wrote to those at Galatia, and he told them, I do not frustrate the grace of God. 
For if righteousness come by the law, now listen to this, righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Now, with that as a backdrop, he proceeds to the duties which concern our perseverance in the faith. Not our being more moral, more sincere, more dedicated, more committed, going to church, going to everybody, paying a tithe on everything that we got. That's not what we're talking about. Persevering in the faith. What? Abiding in the gospel. Continuing the hope that's in Christ Jesus. Embracing and abiding and continuing in the doctrines of Christ. Listen, you can sit in a church your whole life and still not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Multitudes have. And multitudes more will. But here's the difference. The child of God, one born of God, one filled with the Spirit of God, you know what they can never do? They cannot leave the gospel. And if they cannot leave the gospel, you know what they cannot do? They cannot leave those who believe that have this same hope in this gospel. I've said this for years, and I will say it until the Lord takes me from this pulpit one day, either by death or by old age. If... You know, I've been here, you know, you start, I guess when you get old, it's part of memories as you get older. And these things pop up if you're on Facebook or you have Google. Occasionally, I got a Google album. I don't even know how I got it or how it operates. I tried, I got a warning from them that they were eliminating part of it. They said, you need to protect this part. And I thought, I don't even know what part I'm trying to protect. (laughs) You know, how am I trying to protect? But an image popped up of, of us back uh, at our 20-year anniversary, well, actually, the first picture that popped up was from back out. Uh, all the kids, y'all were all, all been in. We were out at Bart and Sally's house. I think it was at our 20-year reunion, maybe, our 20-year uh, celebration. And we, we had the service, and then that afternoon, or either that Saturday night before or that Sunday night after, we went out to Bart and Sally's, and we were all out there. And I, was, I mean, I... Hannah was a little bitty thing, even. Yeah. Lauren was a little child. Yeah, we were all younger. I, I, I don't know if I had hair then. I might have. Yeah, I did have hair then. I don't know. Doesn't make any difference. But, you know, but I got to looking at that, and I thought, and then I, then I got to looking at the other pictures, and I went forward 10 years at a time all the way up to where we're at now. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, it, it's amazing how, uh, how many people through the years, made a good start with. I have pictures from when we first started back out in Bart Sally's house and then when we first moved into that that, uh, place we were at up in Dubok for the first 11 years before we moved here in 98. And there were a bunch of people came out from that old church with us, claimed to believe the same thing we believe. Left because they got their feelings hurt because they tried to fire me. I mean, and to me, that's the most people that get involved in arguments and discrepancies in churches because they like the preacher, the song director, or somebody else, and somebody wrongs them, and when they get their feelings hurt, that's why they go. Not a gospel issue. We left that church, Kenny, over the gospel. Bart and Sally Barfield and Buddy and Lynn Taylor and all of them, we all left over the gospel. Well, there were, there were six families came out of that old church, six families with children. All of them had family ties back out at that old church. And over the course of the next three to five years, you know what began to happen? 
Now, because of pride, they wouldn't go back to Heiko, but they went to other churches. They went to the Methodist church, or they went to the other First Baptist church, or they went to uh, the Fellowship Baptist church. They went to one of these other Baptist churches so they could feel better about themselves because they did. at least we didn't go back there. But you know what? There's a bunch, they, they claim they loved us and loved this gospel and loved this message and loved Henry and loved Bill and loved everybody. You can't find them anymore. And they have assimilated right back into their former religion. I have seen it happen over and over and over again in 36 plus years of preaching the gospel. If this is not Christ in you, the hope of glory, you will. You might stick. You might hang around. Because I know there's some at the judgment in John Matthew 7. What do they do? They're hanging around. But for the most part, by and by, something at some point in time is going to offend you. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Either something's going to be said that's going to imply that one of your relatives that you loved and held in such high esteem that they're in heaven now, even though they didn't believe this gospel didn't rest in this Christ, their hope wasn't in a righteousness established for them. It was in the fact that they were good people. And you hear that from me and you say, I can't tolerate that anymore and you'll be gone. The gospel in the heart, mind, soul, and understanding of the child of God allows us, by God's grace, to understand everything down here by way of familial. How do you say that word? Family. I'm trying to say it. It sounds almost Spanish, but I can't. According to your family, does not matter. I have family of flesh and blood. You do too. They do not believe this gospel. Therefore, I would never, I would never choose them over you or any of God's children. We want to be with those that are of like precious faith. Otherwise, I tell you, if you didn't, I don't know why you'd come here. I mean, it'd be brutal to endure what, what I stand up here and say to you. I don't see how you could do it. But to the child of God, it brings joy to your soul. Because it makes you realize, where's your hope? It's in Christ, period, all the time, good or bad. And he's telling us, what do you do? You have to continue in this gospel. He's already said, we are not of them that draw back to perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What do we do? We abide in the doctrine of Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I am the vine, you are the branches. Except you abide in me, you can do what? Nothing. The focus of this whole argument that he brings before us is, look, we have to stand against all opposition from without, or even opposition within. Because see, that's, that's the problem. Outside, the world's not really going to influence the true church of God. Neither influence the religious world. Yeah, I, I've, I've watched with great interest this week, uh, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention's having their shindig down in New Orleans this week. I think they're done now. You know what the big hullabaloo was this week? They... 
disfellowshipped from Rick Warren and Saddleback Baptist Church because Rick Warren says it's okay to ordain women into the ministry and has ordained women into the ministry. And so Aaron, is it Aaron Rogers, is that his name? I think that's his name. Adrian Rogers. Uh, it was like doodling banjos. Oh, uh, Rick Warren gave, up and gave his speech about why he thought it was right. And he brought up, well, we had an argument about Calvinism. And y'all said we can even be different about Calvinism. That, it's all just a bunch of little different groups. This ain't about Calvinism. I, 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 wish, I wish that name, I, I don't know who came up with that. I wish they'd have never came up with that name. But that's the way men are. They were fighting against Arminianism, and so they said, well, we've got to come up with something to counteract, counterdict Arminianism. We call it Calvinism. It, the, the, it's the gospel. It's who our God is. It's what he did. It's what he accomplished. It's what he purposed totally and completely. And we're not influenced by the Southern Baptists do not influence us. Nor do the Methodists, nor the Catholics. They are, they, boy, don't they have their, they are all flustered about out in Los Angeles, are they not, about them sisters of the perpetual whatever at the Los Angeles Dodgers. You would think the world has come to an end. Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecost, all come together marching in the streets to stop this ungodliness. The whole while, you know who's just as, as ungodly, if not more ungodly, than the ones that they're trying to stop? People say, you don't really believe that. Absolutely, them perpetual, whatever sisters of the perpetual, they're not trying to get to heaven based on that. But those people are out there marching against it. I guarantee you they're in the pulpit today singing their own praises about we made a great showing yesterday against ungodliness. And that's the pot calling the kettle black. They, 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 they weren't honest with us. My mama, my daddy, they'd have never admitted that. Everybody's a good guy that's in church, and everybody that's out of church, what are they? A bad guy. People are crazy. I always think about that. Every one of us by nature are gathering demoniacs. We're out there hurting ourselves, destroying ourselves, seeking to kill ourselves. And can't do anything. And nobody can bind us. Religion can't bind us. Our family can't bind us. Our own mind and consciences can't bind us. The only one that can set us free is the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And when he touched that man and cast those demons out of that man, they came out there and they found that man clothed. And listen, in his right mind. And where was he at? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what we were. We were gathering demoniacs. When he came to us in his grace, he clothed us in his righteousness. He put us in his mind. We have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we, you know what? We sit at the feet of Jesus. We're taught by him. And so he's telling us, you've got to be stand in opposition <clears throat> from within and without to these various strange doctrines that he's going to talk about down in verse 9. 
and he focuses on this. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Why, why can we stand dogmatically against that which is opposed to Christ's blood and righteousness as a sinner's only hope, ground, hope, and cause of salvation? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why it put his whole name, Jesus Christ, Jehovah our salvation, the Redeemer, the Mediator, the Messiah, the one who came to save his people from their sin. Now look at verse 7. Look at the testimony of the past. Here's the first. This is what we're going to look at this morning. Remember them which have the rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. And I like that. It says whose faith follow. It doesn't say whose outward character and conduct follow. You see that? You're to follow their faith. Their faith is what? What they say concerning Christ. You hear that? Considering the end of their conversation. This would be better translated, remember them that have the rule over you. It would be better translated, remember your guides. Remember those who lead you. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about preachers, pastors. At this particular time, he's talking about the apostles, the evangelists, pastor teachers that he talked about in Ephesians chapter 4 that were given to the church as gifts from God. You know, he led captivity a captive and ascended on high, gave gifts to men. What were the gifts he gave? What was the gifts God gave to his church? Tongues and miracles. Not, that ain't it. What's the gifts he gave? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers. That's the gifts God gave to his church. I tell you, you and I ought to count it a privilege. And I do. I think back. I, I'm so grateful that the Lord God did not leave me without a preacher. And I sat down there a lot of guys that thought they were preachers, claimed to be preachers. But then one of God's preachers came my way in the person of Henry Mayhem. And I thank my God through Christ Jesus my Lord every day that I heard the gospel from the first time from that man just like me. But he was sent of God. And he didn't, he wasn't, cons- when he came to Heiko back in 1987, you could tell he, done, he did not care what anybody in that building thought. Wasn't mean spirited, he just did not care. He had one thing to say. He was going to tell us about that righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did five straight messages. He told us about that righteousness. That's a gift. If if the Lord God had not sent me that way, I'd still be lost and undone. Faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word of God. God sent a man. And thank God he sent a man, and he sent a man to you and to me and to us all. See, the apostle is exhorting them to remember those who had... Remember the one who taught you the word of God. Think about them. Who, who, men who had believed the gospel. Men who stood firmly and dogmatically in the gospel, steadfast in the faith. Paul here, he's referring to all those who had preached the gospel to him, who had taught the word of God to him, whether they were apostles or evangelists or pastors, but here's what's so important. He said, remember them who have the rule of you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end. (laughs) 
the end of their conversation. That word conversation means their, their behavior, their lifetime. So what's he talking about? He's talking about men who've died already. Who finished the course. You know, that's what Paul said, I've finished the course. He hadn't finished it yet, but he was close to it when he wrote to Timothy. These were men who had died in the faith. Remember their end. Where are they at now? Where's Paul at? Died for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is he? You know, you know, here's, here's a motive for you. Stephen stood up, preached the gospel as clearly and as dogmatically and as unapologetically as any creature of this earth could preach it. How did they respond? Huh? They covered their ears and they picked up stones and they drug that man outside, a godly man. Drug him outside the city and stoned him to death. And as they were stoning him, he opened his eyes and what did he see? He saw the Lord of glory. And what did he say to our Lord? Same thing our Lord said when he was being beat and ridiculed and hated and scorned by those who hated him. He said, lay this not to their account. Don't charge them for this. Where was he at? Where's he at now? That thief on the cross. Dying. Going to die. He did die. But he had this promise. This day you'll be with me in paradise. That's our hope. That's our comfort. Remember their end. Where are they at? They're with, him. They're with Christ. I mean, we, we, we talk about men and women that pass from this life to the next that are believers. And we act like it's, it's, like it's tragic. But it's, it's relief to the child of God. I know you don't think that now, and I don't even think it. But I tell you, can you envision what it's going to be like to be free from everything? Free from your thoughts, your indifference, your unfaithfulness, your inability to love. I, I, I do. I spend every day of my life. I, want, I do. I want so desperately to love God. Don't you? I do. I, and I'm not saying that facetiously. I, I really do. I wish I could get up... Well, I don't know. <laughs> I say that, and every time I say it, I stop myself because I think if I did, I'd look down on you because I'd think, why ain't you doing what I'm doing? But still, I, you know what I'm talking about. I, I want to love him. But I'd be dead gum. I don't get 10 minutes into the morning, and what have I done? Heck, that's giving myself some credit. I don't get one minute into the morning, and I'm, I've already I've quit thinking about him, thinking about the cares of the day. Worries of what's going on, but to be free from all of that, to be, to, to be free from sin completely, it's power, it's presence. And to be in the presence of Him who, who laid down His life to secure my eternal destiny and be with Him forever. Huh? To have Him as my comfort. I know one day, me or my wife, one of us, in, either in old age or maybe even in, in, at the age that we're at now, one of us could be struck with a with a heart disease or cancer or something, we're going to say goodbye one to another. The long and the short of it is a human being cannot give the comfort 
to the child of God that our blessed Lord by His Spirit can give. It's impossible. He will deliver us. He will carry us across Jordan one day. Not my wife, not my kids. They'll miss me and I'll miss them. No, I won't. <laughs> you won't either. We'll be caught up with him. And see, their, 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 their faith can be considered two ways. These people, he says, remember them that had to rule over you. Objectively, we remember what? The truth that they taught us. I hope and I pray for you younger people. 20 years from now, when this old man's dead and gone, and I've left this planet, and I'm no longer here, I hope and I pray that if the Lord's been pleased to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, heart, mind, and will to understand, that you'll remember the words that I spoke to you. That I can be faithful and true in declaring Christ and His blood and His righteousness to the point that maybe even now you think, that guy, he talks, that's all he talks about. But maybe by God's grace you'll understand that's all there is to talk about. And one day, unless the internet comes something different than it is today, 75 years from now, you know it'll still be out there. Your great-great, my great-great-grandchildren one day can click on Sermon Audio and go to Grace Baptist Church of Ruston and every sermon that we have recorded and put out there in video and audio format will still be there, just like the 3,000 that Henry Mahan preached are out there right now. They'll always be there, as long as the Lord allows and purposes for them to be there. So we're to consider the truth, the gospel that these men taught us. But secondly, subjectively, the grace of faith by which they believed the truth, and they persevered in the faith. See, the command here is to remember them in what they taught so as to follow their doctrine, to follow their faith, and follow their conversation. See, these, these that he's talking about in, they had abided in the doctrine of Christ, and they were dogmatic concerning the only ground, hope, and cause of salvation, which was the imputed righteousness of Christ. All of them said the exact same thing. They were certain of their final glorification conditioned on Christ. And they were great witnesses to those living now who profess faith in Christ and profess to be have repented from dead works and former idolatry. See, this proves to you and me that the Christian faith, Christian doctrines, and particularly the Christian gospel, it never, ever changes, ever. It's a constant, specific message of grace and love for every generation. It doesn't have to be changed to fit the times. Because that's what they think today. Well, you, we got, you've got to say something different. Most people that would come in to hear from that, if you took most of these people in some of these churches around Ruston, you put them in here, they would be bored to death in here with us. Because they'd, they'd rather see a song or hear, you know, see a message, then hear one. In other words, show me how you live. That's, that's what I want. I'm not pointing you to live like me. I'm pointing you to who. And if that bores you, something's wrong with you. And it is. The gospel reveals a righteousness that all sinners need. 
yet none by nature have. And the gospel shows the way of salvation is only one way. Always has been, always will be from the very beginning. It's conditioned on the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ alone, which is the way, the truth, and the life for salvation for every sinner, from Abel to Moses under the law to Paul to the very last child of God that ever comes into this planet. They all go into heaven based on the same exact righteousness. Adam. He was justified based on his righteousness. Noah, with that ark, he was a preacher of righteousness. This righteousness, this promised righteousness. And we know the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. It's a progressive revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? What Adam, Abel knew, what Adam knew, what Abel knew is a lot different from the complete revelation of the canon of Scripture when you take into account what we have recorded from Matthew to Revelation. They had the promises. These all died in... Listen, when you go back and you read Hebrews 11, I told somebody that this, this, that, this, this week. You know, it says there in Hebrews chapter 11, it's going along there and it's listed Abel and Noah and Enoch and listing all those. And then it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, they embraced them, were persuaded of them, and were convinced that they were strangers and declared that they were strangers and pilgrims. And you know what the next verse says? What it goes to talking about? Talks about Abraham received the promises. So they 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 had not received the they didn't have that promise. They had which promise did they have? The promise of the woman's seed. Adam, Abraham, what he received? In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. They they saw him as the seed of the woman. Abraham saw him what? as the seed of the woman, but he saw him more clearly as one who would come through the lineage of his. And Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him, accounted to him for righteousness. But now this is what I want to make clear. Even though it's a progressive revelation, and it is, doesn't mean that these believers in the Old Testament didn't know, and they didn't believe the truth of the gospel of salvation condition on Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, based on his righteousness alone. Because I can guarantee you this, whatever details they didn't know, and there were a lot of them, they did know that God could be just to justify the ungodly based on the righteousness of an appointed substitute. I know that much because that's the only way anybody can be justified. David declared it best. He not blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is he whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin and whose spirits know God. That wasn't some future hope for him. He didn't go to Sheol and wait into some holding tank somewhere to later get delivered when Christ said, it's finished. No. Huh? Huh? That man was truly justified. Why? He rested in a righteousness he had no part producing. 
one that would be produced for him through God's promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word says, it it makes it very clear to be either ignorant of or not submitted to the righteousness of Christ. What is it? In any generation, it's to be lost. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel might be saved. I bear them record they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own. You want an excellent illustration of that? National Israel. For the most part, they were ignorant of the righteousness of God. And through their participation, even to this day, through their participation, all the ceremonies, all the rituals, all the law keeping, what were they trying to do? They were, they were like those Jews that our Lord said, you do search the scriptures for in them. And you're searching of the scriptures, you think there's life, and they are they that testify of me, and you will not come to me. Why? Because where's righteousness found? They will not come to the light. They hate the light. Why? They think there's some light in them. And yet our Lord says, if the light's in you, be darkness. How great's the darkness? So we're to follow all who guided us in the gospel, the doctrines of grace, and who by testimony and example promoted those truths which establish our hearts with grace and causes us to be more sure of our final glorification in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we'll stop right there this morning and we'll come back and we'll pick up in verse 8 next Sunday. I appreciate your presence this morning. You're dismissed to worship. Thank you.